turn, if you would, this evening to John, 3rd John, 3rd Epistle of John. Not the Gospel of John, toward the front of the New Testament, but 3rd John, toward the back of the New Testament. All right? And I would imagine, whenever I said this morning that I would be preaching from 3 John, I would imagine that some of you immediately thought to yourself, didn't you preach from there back in September of 2014? Right? Isn't that so, so, I mean, immediately some of you thought that, right? September 2014, Sunday night, didn't you preach from that? And if that's what you think, you're right. I did. Uh, three and a half years ago, almost, I preached from the third uh, letter to, of John, and so uh, if this is all repetitive for you, I apologize, but I want you to know that uh, this is not just a sermon that was pulled off a shelf and dusted off and, and brought to you tonight. This is a, a fresh thought for me, and I trust that it'll be a fresh thought for you as well. So let's go, go, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we are, uh, again, I say this all the time, but I, I think we are glad to be in your house tonight. I trust that we are. And God, I pray that you would bless this time together. God, I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts, to just uh, to help us, to be a challenge to us. Uh, Lord, we need this, and maybe we need it more than we realize sometimes. But I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, tonight I'm going to ask you to begin by using your imagination with me, all right? Just use your imagination with me. I think this will be fairly simple. I think this will be fairly easy to follow along. But I want you to imagine tonight that you are on your way to someone's house, someone, though, that you do not know very well, all right? So you know them a little bit. You know them casually, whatever it may be, but you don't know them very well. So you go to this person's house and as you step into their house, here is what you see almost immediately. A giant deer head that's been mounted and placed above the fireplace in their home. Can you envision that around this part of the country at all? Yeah, you, you can. So you, you step inside and immediately you are greeted with this giant deer head uh, looking at you from the side of the wall there above the fireplace. And as you look around to another wall, you see that there's a giant bird that's been stuffed and mounted, known as a pheasant maybe, and it's hanging on another wall. Uh, is that something that you can almost envision around these parts? Brother Cecil, are you able to envision any of this? All right, just want to make sure that, that I was speaking someone's language tonight. All right, so, so you don't know this person, but you see this big deer head right here, and over here you see this pheasant that's been stuffed and mounted and hanging on the wall. And, and, and as you look, you, you notice there's a gun cabinet or a gun case, and in that gun case or cabinet are all these shotguns and rifles. And, and then over on this chair you see a camouflage jacket hanging over that chair, and, and then you see some camouflage boots and, and some camouflage camouflage gloves and the whole nine yards, if you saw all that in a person's living room, what might you assume? They're a what? They're a Democrat, yeah. No, they, I, I, well, I don't know what you would assume. Okay, I'm not opening it up to answers from the floor again. You might assume, you might assume that you're in the home of at least one person who enjoys the outdoor and enjoys hunting, correct? Amen. 
That, that would seem like a pretty logical conclusion to come to. You would say, you know, just based on this animal and this animal and all those guns with all that ammunition and all the attire that I'm seeing here, uh, it, it looks like someone who is, again, an outdoorsman and someone who enjoys hunting. So say you walked into the house of another person that you didn't know very well and and say that you immediately began to notice that they had picture frames from different uh, beaches and, and inside their house and inside their living room you realized they've collected sand from different places they've been and, and as you looked around you noticed they've got seashells sitting all over the place and they've got coral that they've brought back from other oceans. What would you think other than they're crazy? What, what might you think, babe? Huh? They've been to the ocean, and they like the ocean, right? See, if you were to walk into our house, you would see those types of things. And so you might say to yourself, even though they live nowhere near an ocean, they must enjoy getting to the ocean as often as possible and staying as long as they can. And if you assume that of Susie and our family, you would be correct. That is something that we enjoy. Now, you understand, don't you, that we could go on and on and on about these different illustrations, right? I mean, if you walked into certain people's offices and you saw different models all over the place. You might say, I, I think this person likes models and they like war memorabilia, correct? Right. Yeah. Or you could walk by a garage and notice they've got several different cars of the same type and you might say, I think they like old cars. Now, now think about this, what this illustrates and what this kind of proves. It illustrates this and it kind of proves that we're able to say a lot sometimes without even really meaning to communicate what it is we're trying to communicate. Would you agree with this? With the simplest of means and with the simplest of ways, sometimes we express our thoughts, we express our feelings, even if we didn't really set out to express our thoughts and our feelings. And if you think about this, sometimes it's a good thing and sometimes that's a, a not so good thing. It's a negative thing. Would we agree? And so as we keep that principle in mind, as we keep that thought in mind, I want us to look at just a few verses tonight. We're not going to be here a real long time, but I want us to, to look in verse number one. All right, this is John writing this letter to a single individual, and it says in verse number one, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. So who is this letter being written to? Well, it's being written to a man by the name of Gaius, Correct. Now, there's some debate as to who this Gaius is, because Gaius is a name that you would have heard maybe in different circles. It's maybe somewhat of a common name for their day and their culture. And so there is some debate, there's some question as to who this Gaius is. But truth be told, it's really not important for tonight's sermon and where it's headed. We're just going to identify who the recipient of this letter is. It's a man by the name of Gaius, and John is writing to him. And notice in verse number 3, just a real quick testimony of who this man was. John says, I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified or gave witness of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. And so the scripture says in verse number three that, that this man Gaius was one who had a testimony that had the truth in him and that he walked in that truth. And so tonight for just a moment, I want us to think about what this word truth means. What does it mean when John writes of the word or writes of the subject of truth? Well, here is what truth means just in and of itself. It means something that is fact 
and something that is certain. All right? So the truth is something that is factual, and it is something that is certain. It is something that is unchanging, regardless of how anyone may try to change it, may try to adapt it, may try to rearrange it, whatever it is. Truth is fact, and truth is certain, and that is true in all areas of life, correct? If it is true, it doesn't matter what area of life we're talking about. It is fact, and it is something that you can be certain of. It is something that will not change, regardless of what anyone else thinks about it. If this is truth, it will always be truth. Now, as you think about that, we understand that John is not just writing of truth in general and vague terms. He would be writing this in relation to the truth of God's Word. You would agree with this, right? That he is talking about the truth, the factual, the certain, the unchanging aspect of God's Word because Scripture identifies itself, thy Word, God's Word, is truth. The Word of God is fact, it is certain, it is unchanging, and it matters not what anyone says, how it comes under attack, or anything else. God's Word will always be truth. And that's a wonderful thing to remember, especially in the culture that we're living in. When people want to say, well, that's not what it means anymore. Well, that's not what the Scripture says anymore. It used to mean that, but it doesn't mean that anymore. Listen, friends, if anyone tries to change or alter the Word of God, they are trying to change truth, and truth cannot be changed because truth is fact, it is certain, and it is unchanging no matter what. We need to be reminded of that from time to time. So here is John writing to Gaius, and there's this testimony of truth and that he walks according to the truth. So notice what John says to Gaius in verse number 2. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Beloved. He said in verse number 1, he said, Whom I love in the truth. So obviously there is some kind of a closeness to this relationship. But he says in verse number 2 that he above all things wished that thou mayest prosper and be in health. So what does it mean whenever John says that this is what I wish above all things? Well, it would mean this, that this is what I desire or this is what I hope for. We've all wished for things, have we not? We've all wished that this would happen, that this would happen, or that something else would happen. So we understand the idea behind the word wish. It's something that we long for, or it's something that we desire, that we hope will take place, or something that will happen. So he said, this is what I am wishing above all things. Well, what does that mean, to wish above all things? Well, it would kind of mean this, would it not, that you want this more than anything else? Have you ever had like a list of things that you wanted? You ever been there? Let's not be sleepy tonight, okay? You've wanted things. And, and what did you want? You wanted multiple things. And sometimes what do you have to do with your list of wants? You have to prioritize them, correct? So I want this, and then I want this, and then I want this, and then I wish for this, and then I wish for this, and then I wish for this. So do you understand the principle here? That which is on top, it is above all things. 
Okay, so whatever you put in the number one category of what you wish for, then that is what you wish for above all things. And so what did John say that he wished for above all things? For this man named Gaius, he said, Well, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. That thou mayest prosper. Well, what does it mean to prosper? Well, it means to succeed and to do well. It's fairly simple. Once again, this is what I want for you above all things. I want you to succeed and I want you to enjoy good health. Now, as you think about that, that should be fairly common among God's people for other people, should it not? I should want for others that they would succeed or prosper, and then at the same time I should also want and wish for and desire that others would enjoy good health. I would not be much of an individual if I wanted to see others fail and I didn't care about their overall well-being. So here is John, and he says, I want you to prosper, I want you to succeed, that is what I want above all things, I want you to be in good health, and yet at the same time he said this, even as thy soul prospereth. Now friends, that's an important aspect or an important element of his wish or his desire for Gaius. And I'll explain more in just a moment as to why that's so important. But what does this mean whenever he says, even as thy soul prospereth? What is the soul a reference to? It's a reference to the inner man, isn't it? The soul is a reference to who an individual is internally. And we've gone over this many, many times in the past. It is our soul, it is our inner man that is responsible for our wants, for our dreams, for our ambitions, for our longings, for our desires, whatever it is you'd like to call it. It is the inner man that is also connected to the things of God or to the things of this world. And we already know of his testimony that the truth is in him. And so the context would lead us to believe that what Gaius could have said of him is this, is that it, that as it relates to his inner man, his soul, his desire, his longings, and his ambitions, here is what he wanted for his life more than anything, that being the things of God taking place in his life. Does this make sense? That his soul was prospering, that his soul was doing well, that his inner man was where he was supposed to be, that his inner man was was in the condition it needed to be in. So think about the connection here between these thoughts. Here is a man who has a testimony that the truth is in him, even as thou walkest in the truth. And he says, here is what I wish for above all things, that you may prosper, that you may succeed, that you may be in good health, to the same extent or to the same degree that your soul is prospering and where it needs to be. Now why is that important? I told you it was, so why do I believe it's important? Well, here's why I believe it's important. How many of us have ever known people who were successful and they were profitable and they were a success in the eyes of the world and they had good health? Have you ever known people like that? Yes, we've known people like that. At the same time, have you ever known people like that and they did not really have a heart for the things of God? 
So as a result of, of, of watching them, here's what you realize. It's not that they are terrible people and they are wicked people and they're just ungodly, awful, wretched sinners. But if you look at them, here's what you can conclude just by judging the fruit, just by, by looking at what is coming from their life. Here's what you can determine. You know, they don't really have a burden and they don't really have a desire and a longing for the things of God to be what controls them and to be what drives them and to be what leads them in their personal lives. So as you see that, let me ask you something. With continued success, with continued prosperity, with continued ease of life, does that tend to make them softer toward the things of God or harder toward the things of God? It makes them harder toward the things of God. Let's follow this. When you've got someone who does not have a heart for the things of God, and yet they are successful, it becomes increasingly difficult to show them or to convince them of any kind of need for the things of God. Now, I'm not suggesting, not for a moment, am I suggesting that we should wish upon successful ungodly people that they would fail and have terrible disease take place in their lives. It's not what I'm suggesting, okay? But at the same time, what I am saying is this, is that it should not be the desire of someone who is godly in their thinking or their approach to life. It should not be the desire of that person to wish or want above all things a continued measure of success for the one who has no concern for the things of God. Because the person who is successful without God has much greater issues or needs in their lives than what the world has to offer and the worldly success that is available. Does this make sense? Come on. So, so it should not be, and, and we're going somewhere with this, it should not be that when a person is not with the Lord in his relationship or her relationship where it ought to be, it should not be that we wish bad or ill upon them, but at the same time, it should not be our desire that that would continue and that they would continue to live with no regard for the things of God and having that only become more concrete in their way of thinking and their way of living. At some point, there should be this thought process on our part that, God, something needs to happen to get their attention. God, something needs to take place. So if you need to take away this, if you need to take away that, God, if you need to remove their success, God, if they need to fail, God, if they need to have some kind of sickness that would shake their world, whatever it may be, that should be one of our desires, not that they would continue to succeed, but God, that you would do what it takes to get their attention so that they might understand the importance of truth, living for you, etc. So that being said, beloved, I wish all things, above all things, that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. 
For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. So notice what he said in verse number 4, very familiar portion of Scripture to us. He said, John did, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, was Gaius his child? Not biologically, from what we can tell. But obviously this was someone that John had had some kind of a relationship with, and and maybe it had some kind of a mentoring relationship with. And here is what John said to Gaius, based upon the testimony and based upon what had been reported of him. He said, I have no greater joy than to hear. So what does it mean to have joy? It means to have gladness, correct? It, it like brings a spring to the step and, and maybe a smile to the face, maybe a change of the countenance. Would that be fair to say that joy would produce those types of things? All right. So John says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I have no greater joy. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Nothing could bring me more joy in life than for this to be so. Kind of like, I wish above all things. Okay, whatever is at the top of the list, that's above all things. Okay? So how many things in this world could have brought John joy? Well, we don't know. Many different things could have brought him joy, right? And it wouldn't have been necessarily a bad thing for these other things to bring him joy. But he said, there is nothing that gives me greater joy than this, that I hear that my children, those that I have had some influence in, those that maybe I've been able to mentor, those that I've been able to help in their spiritual lives, this is what gives me the greatest joy I could have, is to hear the testimony from someone else about this one over here, that here is what they do, they walk in truth. So what does it mean to walk in truth? The truth of God's Word, which is fact, which is certain, which is unchanging, no matter what man may try to do to it. John says, there is nothing that could bring me greater joy than to hear from someone else that you, Gaius, that you are walking according to the truths of God's Word, that you are living according to this unchanging Word, that you are living according to this factual, certain, that which we can depend on, Word of God. He said, nothing at all could bring me greater joy than to hear that is how you have chosen to live and walk and to, and to conduct yourself as a child of God. Now, friends, I, I just want to bring this to our attention and I want us to think about this. That simple statement in connection with verse number 3, that says a lot about Gaius, does it not? Okay, the fact that Gaius walked according to the truth of God's Word, the fact that that was his testimony, that says much about Gaius, doesn't it? 
It sure, it sure, it sure does. It certainly does, okay? It, it does. Do you think Gaius woke up every morning and said, Well, I tell you what, I'm going to be a testimony to everyone that I come into contact with today because I am going to walk in the truth of God's Word. Do you think that that's what he said every morning or do you think that's just how he chose to live and how he chose to conduct himself? I think some of it was probably a personal determination on his part, but I think some of it was just, again, this is what is important to me, this is what matters to me, and this is what I'm going to pursue. And as a result of what became important to him, you know what it did? It said much about him. Without preaching a sermon every day, without making public declarations every day, that this is what is important to me, without doing all that, you know what his life did? It spoke volumes to those who knew him without him probably saying as much as he simply lived it. It said much about him. Now, while his testimony said much about him, here's what I want us to think about tonight. What John said in relation to Gaius' testimony also said much of John. You following this? I know I'm asking this, but there's a reason why I want to make sure we're following this. The fact that John gave testimony that nothing could give him greater joy than to hear that children walked according to the truth. You know, it obviously said much about Gaius. But it obviously said much about John. You know why it said much about John? Because it said everything about the priorities of John. It said everything about what mattered to John. See, John didn't get excited that Gaius prospered and succeeded apart from the truth of God's Word in his life. John didn't get excited and celebrate and say, I want you to continue to do well in spite of him living for the things of this world. No, as John considered the testimony, as John considered how Gaius was living, here is what John could honestly say, there is nothing that gives me greater joy than to know you walk according to the truth of God's Word, regardless of what your personal successes may be, regardless of what your victories may be, here's what brings me the most joy, is that you walk in the truth, and as a result of you walking in the truth, I really want you to do well in the other areas of your life. But without you walking in the truth, I think it's safe to say, according to the context, that John wouldn't have been too excited about worldly successes that Gaius may have enjoyed or accomplished in his life. So why would such a reminder be a help to us? Why would such a reminder be important in today's culture? All right, well, what is truth? Well, his word is truth. Okay, so if his word is truth, if his word is fact, if his word is certain, if his word is unchanging, if that is his word, then, then, then what should professed Christians live according to? Well, the truth of God's word, right? That's how a Christian should live. So, ask yourself this question. Have you ever known people who identify themselves as Christians. And when you hear them talk, 
what you realize, kind of like walking into a stranger's house, when you talk to these people who identify themselves as Christians, what you realize is what's important to them. Have you ever noticed this? Okay. And if you think about that, have you ever noticed this? That sometimes what seems to bring the greatest measure of joy to the one who identifies themselves as a believer is the success that another is enjoying, though the other person is not necessarily living for the Lord. You ever notice this? So I don't know what you're talking about, so let me just illustrate this a couple of ways. I sense the anticipation, all right? Have you ever heard a parent talking about their children with great joy? You ever heard this happen? Okay, it happens all the time. Why? Because parents tend to gloat and to be excited and to be happy and, and to have joy because of their children, right? Okay. I, I think it's appropriate for children or for yeah, for children to bring joy to their parents, for parents to be happy and proud of their kids. Okay, I think that's appropriate to an extent. Why to an extent? Well, see, sometimes these children that parents are rejoicing and celebrating over and they have all this great joy for, it's for children who have no heart for the truth of God's Word. Have you ever noticed this? See, it sounds something like this. Oh, and, then, and you know, that's maybe exaggerated a little bit, but it's almost that feverish sometimes. Oh, oh my kids just got an incredible job. Well, that's good. Right? It, it's good. They, they need a job. It might as well be a good job. But sometimes you sense that it doesn't really bother the parent that the child doesn't have a heart for the things of God, but they're still so happy that they're succeeding and prospering and doing well in the things of this world. Oh, my kids are doing so great. Oh, I tell you what, my kids are doing so good. Oh, I tell you what, the kids are just making so much money. And I'm telling you, the kids, if everything goes right, the kids are going to be able to do this, and the kids are going to be able to do this, and the kids are going to be able to do this. And, and, and you just sometimes wonder, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, sometimes you wonder, well, well, what about this kid's service to the things of God? I'm not saying that that's bad. I'm not saying that that's terrible. I'm not saying that I wish ill upon those children, whoever the parents are that are celebrating these, these accomplishments of their children. But what I am saying is this. Doesn't that kind of say something about the parents who greatly rejoice over the worldly successes of children who have no heart for the things of God? It says much about the person. It's something like this. You know, you've got this person who identifies themselves as a believer. You've got this person who identifies themselves as a God follower, whatever they'd like to call themselves. And, and they've got a friend. They've got someone in the family. And they just got a big old house. 
good. They just bought a brand new car. That's great. They're, they're going to be able to do this and they're going to be able to do that. And Have you ever noticed how excited some people get about the worldly successes of other people who have no th- heart for the things of God? Now, friends, I'm just saying, that says something about the Christian who gets all worked up and excited about the worldly successes of people who don't have a heart for the things of God. It it, it almost seems to indicate that they find greater joy in earthly success than they would in that of spiritual success. So that in mind... You know what can creep into the hearts and minds of every one of us? That same spirit and that same attitude. I mean, let's just be honest about this. If we're not careful, what can you and I get wrapped up in? We can get wrapped up in the things of this world, can we not? Come on, we're not exempt from this. We can get wrapped up in the things of this earth. And so if we're not careful, you know what we begin to wish for above all things? And if we're not careful, you know what begins to bring us greater joy than to hear that our children walk in truth? You know what begins to happen to us? We begin to be the ones who rejoice over things who really, in comparison to, say, things like eternity or things that matter spiritually, we're getting all excited about the earthly and we're losing focus of what should really matter to us. I, I don't, Listen, I'll just be transparent with you, all right? Over the last few years... As a dad, you know what I've wanted my kids to do? I've wanted them to succeed. I want them to do well. I want to be able to look back and say, hey, I'm proud of you and I'm proud of your accomplishments. And those things bring me joy. Those things create in me a sense of gladness. I'm, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, but as I am going through this stage of life with my children... You know what I've got to be very careful to keep in mind? That none of this is worth getting excited about if they're not walking according to the truth of God's Word. So I could say to Nathan, Nathan, I'm glad you got a house. Nathan, I'm glad you fixed it up. Nathan, I'm glad you've done well. But Nathan, I've got to remember this. If he doesn't walk according to the truth of God's word, then this is not anything to get too excited about or to get too happy about. And if he's not going to walk according to the truth of God's word, then you know what? I really don't need to continue wishing success and prosperity on him because that will only drive him further from the things of God. And and listen, if I don't keep that straight in my life, it, it may say something about him, but just as much it says a whole lot about me. Are there people in my life that I love and I care about? Of course. And do I want them to succeed and do I want them to do well? Of course. Do I want you as a church family to succeed and to do well in life? Of course I do. I'm kind of a sorry fella if I don't want you to succeed and do well. 
But if you succeed and do well while living a very weak and worldly Christian life, if I get all excited about a worldly success and your spiritual life isn't what it's supposed to be, again, that says something about you, but it says a whole lot about me as a pastor. Because there's more to life than earthly success. And so tonight I'm trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to be transparent with you. And, and, and so I'm just going to be honest with you to one more degree. And then we'll conclude this. Because this happens so discreetly. And because this happens so, so innocently. Let, let me just be honest with you. There have been times I've been engaged in conversations, and I'm sure I've been guilty of this as well, so please don't think I'm, I'm judging and casting stones. But, but I, I want you to know that, that sometimes, even in our own church family, I've thought to myself, or thought to, I'm just one, I've thought to myself, why are they that excited about this person's earthly success? when the person they're all excited about has no walk with God to speak of right now. The one that they're talking about, the one that they're bragging on, the one that they're telling everybody about, the, the one that, that is their source of great joy right now, they don't have much of a testimony of a heart for the things of God. And if we're all excited about whatever earthly successes they're having while living apart from a right relationship with God, do you realize that that says much about you? I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying, do you realize it says much about you? What should matter? That people walk according to to the truth of God's word. That's what should matter. Here is truth and we're going to live according to this because it is truth. It'll never change and I want to be on the side of the unchanging truth of God's word. Okay? That's what should matter to every one of us. And the only reason that we should really have great joy and want the best for others is if they are at the same time striving to walk with God because anything else is only going to make it that much more difficult for them to see their need of a right walk with God. And friends, if we can't distinguish that and if we can't keep that straight, then I'm going to say it one more time, that says something about us. Truly, it says something about us. It ought to be that we can say, I have no greater joy. Nothing thrills me more than the children, those that I have influence in, those who I, I'm able to help, that they walk in truth. And I want them to succeed, and I want them to do well. And anyone else say, I'll, I'll be glad for you. But all of my gladness will be kept in check because of the understanding this really means nothing outside of your walk with God. So we just need to remember this because it's a challenge 
whether we acknowledge it or not. All right? All right, let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I do pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are very careful as to what we celebrate, as to what we rejoice in, as to what we hope for other people. God, as I've tried to make clear tonight, and I know that it's not our place to ever wish ill upon people or anything of that nature. But God, at the same time, I pray that you'd help us to realize what it says of us if we really have no regard for the things of God in the lives of others. So I just pray that you'd help us to consider it and to remember it as it would be needed in our lives. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.